Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, the podcast where we explore all things assisted reproductive technology. I am Jennifer White, and I am here with my lovely and fabulous sister. I'm Ellen Trackman. Thanks for joining us. So today's question, Jen, what's your favorite musical? Ooh, ooh, that's a really good question. Um, so I have seen Hamilton within the past year, and oh, so jealous. I they are coming back to Denver, so I'm really hoping to get tickets. Oh, uh, yeah, you have time. to go. You have to go. Like, I'd fly out to Denver and go with you. Like, I'm, oh, I'm still... Oh, I accept. Ooh. I accept. Okay, excellent. Um, I am obsessed with the music still. Like, it, 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 I keep it on repeat in my car. So, like, doesn't matter. Um, but also, I when we lived in London, I saw Wicked a couple times. And also, just incredible. Uh, I've seen a lot of musicals. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I, it's hard to come up with a favorite. Uh, and then really recently, just a couple weeks ago, uh, I took... Uh, my daughter to go see the Frozen musical. And while the musical, like the music was exactly what you expect, right? Because it was like the music from Frozen. Uh, the staging at some points was really, really incredible and really cool. So um, yeah, so sorry, that was a long one for me. What What about That's you? fine, because I have not had the opportunity to see that many. So I I don't really, I mean, I assume it'll be Hamilton as soon as I see it. Um, yes, And I really like Moana, which is, you know, from the same creator of the music, I believe. <laughs> there Moana, we go. Okay. No. Um, but no, I've, yeah. I saw Book of Mormon. That was really fun. I seen Wicked. That's a fun that one. was good. But I haven't seen yep. that many. Uh, have you seen? Oh, now I'm forgetting the name. Oh, I know what you're about to ask. Uh, yeah. The answer is no. I have not seen Dear Evan Hansen. So, oh, I've heard good things uh, about it. I know I have too. Um, I've heard bring lots of tissues and things like that. But um, yeah, so I I know why you're going to ask this. So we just totally have to lead each other back and forth, right? Um. <laughs> well, so we have a very um, exciting special guest as always. Um, but I have heard we're on the street. We don't talk about an interview. But uh, I was talking to someone after we interviewed her, and she was saying, "Oh, did you know?" that she was one of the driving forces behind Dear Evan Hansen, that I believe they invested in it. So I think that's awesome. So thank yeah, you to, every, so. Thank you to, to our great guests for, for bringing that to, to yeah. the world. So speaking of who is our great guest? Pamela Hirsch, uh, the founder of BabyQuest. Yes. So excited to get to talk to her. So let, let, let's not delay. Welcome Pamela Hirsch, co-founder of BabyQuest, the show. Pamela, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. For those who don't know what BabyQuest is or about you or your story, we thought we'd try to start at the beginning and tell what led you to co-founding BabyQuest. And even before that, you had a very amazing and successful career. So let's see, where to start? First, where do you live? I live in Los Angeles now. Since I think it's been about 20 years that we've lived here, moved here from Northern California and originally from Central Illinois. Mm-hmm. Oh. Great. And what did you do before you became passionate about infertility issues and helping others? Okay. Um, I've had 
several careers. <laughs> I started out as a teacher in a junior high, French and Spanish and English teacher. Many, wow. many, many, many. That takes years. a lot of patience. Yeah. I was I was very yeah. impressed by your bio that you um you majored in French, is that right? In Spanish? Is- yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. And, and I have a very useless degree in French literature. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody told me that it wouldn't do much for yeah, me no one mentioned would, that would you have listened though? would would you have listened though because i think that's um, always like the, when not. you're young probably, exactly when no, you're young you don't listen not. to that advice yeah <laughs> i think i think kids are more practical now about thinking ahead perhaps i don't know but in any case i um i was a teacher for a few years i was very fortunate in the mid 80s to be the first um franchisee or person that they brought into the Princeton Review right. test prep company. Which I've definitely heard of, it. right? Yes. And yeah. I did I did that. Uh, it started in our bedroom. It ended up with about 300 employees. And I sold my part of that when, um, in 2001. And then basically didn't, it was kind of left stranded because all of a sudden you don't have people to boss around anymore. <laughs> and, and that was really my identity. And we had recently moved from Palo Alto area where my office had been down to LA. In fact, I commuted for a year up there oh, well. running the, the company. And wow. after it sold, I was pretty much left with what do I do with myself? Because I am not I'm type A, and I didn't feel like being retired, even though it was probably age appropriate to be retired. And I wound up uh, doing some writing. I went through Pilates training. Oh. I think the young, the youngest person ever, or the oldest person ever, to be with a bunch of young people going through Pilates training, became a Pilates instructor, did that kind of part-time for a while. And then um, when, I guess about 11, 12, 13 years ago, when our younger daughter, who was 28 at the time, um, had been married for several, a, couple, a few years, and she and her husband were trying to have a child. And first there was a miscarriage, which is understandable, that happens. And then there were several IUI attempts, nothing worked. Finally went to a specialist, did a few more IUIs, started with the IVF went through, I believe, four IVFs, three or four IVFs. Each one was successful and then had miscarriages oh. at nine weeks, eight or nine weeks oh, after hearing a heartbeat. And oh. you, know, you go through that and it's totally a family thing. Um, and I had always thought because of our older daughter who had IVF, first time worked, mm-hmm. and she had a young had a baby from IVF and then she and then she had a second natural pregnancy um I always thought IVFs worked the first time why not nobody ever tells you that they don't and then when when Nicole had so many failures and it was bed rest and and hemorrhaging and blood clots and whatever and finally she went to at our suggestion she went to a different doctor and it was discovered that she had a very severely bicorneate uterus and she was not able to carry her own child despite the fact of having an amazing supply of eggs and healthy embryos so the plan then became you need to hire a surrogate and she was very unfamiliar with surrogacy she was a tv executive and 
had really no plans to do that. And we said, well, this is the best option. And we were very, very fortunate in the fact that we could help financially. And so she had her daughter who will turn 10 this Uh month. And soon after that, she left the the TV industry and actually started working for um, a clinic, a fertility clinic in Los Angeles that had a fertility, that had a um, surrogacy agency division. And she did that for a few years. During that time, she um, had a second child, again, carried by a surrogate. And again, we were very blessed to be able to help with that. And then a few years later, actually, it was during, uh, right after she had the second child, the doctors of that clinic had decided that their agency was not going to continue. And she and one of her co-workers uh, started their own agency, which is called Abundant Beginnings Surrogacy. And it's five, um, four years old now and very successful here in Los Angeles, servicing people all over the world. And that became her passion. And right after the first daughter was born via surrogacy, I woke up one day, it was on a Saturday, and I will always remember this, and I sat up in bed and I said, you know, how do people do this if they don't have financial help, either themselves or, or, you know, from parents? And people ask me that question all the time. Yeah. (laughs) How expensive it is. Yes. And not even just surrogacy, which is over at that time was, I would say, $110,000. Now with an agency, it's even well over that. The costs have escalated. And I just wondered, how do people do this if they don't have the money? And insurance certainly doesn't cover it. And it covered even less 10 years ago. And my daughter's first comment to me was, well, it's such a good idea idea that there have to be many other people who are doing it already. So that made me start my research. And I researched online and I found that there were a very small, less than a handful of organizations or charities doing this. And then I started researching each one of them and I found things that I didn't care for about Mm. each one. For example, I didn't want to have people need to go to a certain network of doctors or a one certain doctor. Um, I didn't want um, applicants to have to live in a certain geographic area versus the entire United States. Um, I didn't want applicants to have to fundraise for an organization before being told if they get a grant. Because um, if they're going to fundraise, they could go on a GoFundMe and do it themselves. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I didn't want an organization that didn't accept applications from same-sex couples, which many, some of them didn't. There were just different things that I found that I didn't like in each other yeah. entity. And then that's when um, I decided to start BabyQuest. And it was the very end of the year in 2011. And we got our, our 501c3 status in August of that year. Congrats. And I sat on it. Not, not knowing what to do, or <laughs> kind of paralyzed, like, well, this is a nonprofit. It's not the same as what I've done in my right. past, you know, as far as business. But then I realized I was sitting with a friend in November of that year, and she said, you know, it's the end of the year. People um, have the end of year tax deduction, which they would give to not, you know, your friends might give to nonprofits. So I called in a bunch of favors, and in addition to what the money that we had contributed to start the charity, there 
were other donations. And by that March of 2012, we were able to give out two grants. Not very much money, but it, right. in hindsight, yeah. it was a start. Yes, we gave out one for an IUI in Ohio and another to an IVF in a woman in Nevada who had the first baby, oh. Quest baby about 10 months after that. She has a second now from a frozen embryo, which she had about um, a few years, three, four years ago. And that was the beginning. Since then, um, March of 2012, we have now, up to now, we've given out just almost $2 million in cash and cash equivalents. And we've seen the birth of up to now 84 babies. And we are trying to think of what to do because we know we are going to have the 100th baby <sighs> yes. late summer or early. Oh, wow. yeah. So we're trying something big, right? What a, what a milestone. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're, we're contemplating what to do. The babies live and their parents are all over the country, the U.S., and it's just been a completely rewarding, great experience. Even not having met so many of those who were selected to receive grants or, you know, and the ones who've had babies. I, I have gone to a couple of different cities, um, went to Columbus, Ohio a few years ago and Philadelphia twice, actually. Um, and of course, Southern California, where we have frequent reunions of all the babies because there are quite a few recipients here and but they're spread all over the country and fortunately there's strength in numbers and we're we have a growing baby population in dallas and i'm hoping that someday soon we'll get all of them together we keep growing in the midwest a little bit spread out you know some in indiana some in ohio different parts of ohio one couple in Illinois, Missouri. So it, it's just, it's difficult because you can't ask people to travel that yeah. far with, with young children. And so how does it work? How, how do you get funds now? And then we'll cover how do people apply and how do they become recipients? I pretty much gotten over the groveling stage <laughs> a few years ago. I get it. Oh, cool. <laughs> Does that actually happen? Yeah, with the right. Oh, good. <laughs> and, and, and telling my husband that he can't ask me anymore when I get a, a, a donation. He cannot ask me anymore. Well, how did they find out about you? Because that's yeah. insulting because we should be known enough that people do find out about us. Oh, good. Well, yes, hopefully we can and, do our tiny part yeah. to let people know about Baby Quest. Yes. Right? We have just been very blessed that we don't have a huge budget for advertising. We do some if you want to call them galas, it's really not true because there's so many, such many events. But we have a very impressive board. Um, we've done some events like Soul Cycle. We've done some events that are very talent based, especially in New York, where we have like a little mini variety hour with hors d'oeuvres and, and people have donated, you know, for that. They've been very successful. We did that in Los Angeles as well. Um, and people are just finding out about us. People who have gone through infertility themselves and decide to do a fundraiser for their birthday on Facebook or in another another way of, of donating. We have donations from other groups that support us, other groups. There's one group called Brides for a Cause that takes that gives out bridal takes bridal dresses as donations and gives out a lot of money to charity. We have the pharmaceutical companies, Faring and EMD Serrano. 
that are very helpful with our recipients with supplying Great. medications oh, wow. to a certain number of them. Um, we have supporters who are very, very active on social media. And the power of social media is amazing and almost incredible, especially to somebody like myself who was not brought up on social media because it didn't exist. I mean, I was from the era where you had to have printed brochures and you mailed things, you didn't do email. And it's been a real learning experience, but social media is amazing and our supporters are amazing. We have a few people with very high public platforms, such as um, Amerika Olivo, and her husband, Christian Campbell, she's an actress who has been very active in promoting the charity. Uh, we have Kenya Moore, who's one of the Real Housewives of Atlanta, who has been amazing this yeah. year as being an ambassador. We have oh, wow. Bridget Marcard, who used to be on a show called Girls Next Door uh, with Hugh Hefner, <laughs> and she has a terrific following. Uh, and she has chronicled her fertility experience, which oh. has not been successful at all. And yet she has been an amazing ambassador. Uh, we have a new contact, a new person that we're working with, uh, a couple, Joe Smith and Allie LaForce. He's a pitcher in Major League Baseball, and she is a TNT um, sideline reporter for NBA. And I love sports, so she and I hit it off very, very well. Ah, I love it. They have a foundation to help cure a disease called Huntington's disease, which is a fatal disease, and um, that they their family's been affected by. And because they found the need for people who have that who carry that gene to have pre-genetic testing, PGD testing, um, BabyQuest also funds people who need PGD testing for cystic fibrosis and other diseases called like Tay-Sachs or Sandhoff disease or anything that's genetically transmitted. And we've kind of combined with them just recently to make sure that anybody who applies to BabyQuest who is affected by Huntington's disease, we can hand the application over to them. Wow. Well, that's an impressive list of people who are helping and supporting. I have to admit, I'm a little embarrassed that the one name I immediately recognized was uh, Bridget from the Girls Next Door, which I did watch at one point. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't know the baseball player, um, but that is impressive. So say a listener is like, that's a great cause. I really want to be helpful. Can they just go on your website and donate or show up at a gala? What's the best way to help? Our website, which has just been newly overhauled a few months ago, and amazing improvement, it has two branches. One is to apply, which we can talk about in a minute. The other is to donate. Donations can be done very easily by clicking on the donate button on the website. It takes you to PayPal or credit card donation. You donate. Uh, if you want to donate in honor of somebody, somebody who just had a baby, if you supply their address, their information, we're more than happy to acknowledge the donation to send them a little card saying that you donated. A donation can also be done. In fact, we have a whole page on the website which talks about how you can support BabyQuest. You can have a birthday party and ask your guests to donate to BabyQuest. You can have a baby shower and do the same thing. Oh. That's sweet. I like the idea of a baby shower. That's really nice. I have a former recipient whose name is Lindsay, mm -hmm. who lives in Cleveland, who is my right arm. Yeah. And she helps, she understands social media far better than I do. <laughs> and 
she she makes up pages that are dedicated. If you call and say, or if you email and say, I want to do a baby shower, but I want my friends to be able to do one click and not have to go to your website mm-hmm. or whatever. And we'll do dedicated pages where we will help you with the invitation and put a link on it. So your guests can go directly to a donate page for baby quest that is specifically dedicated to you and your event. Wow. So convenient. That's great. The easier we make things for people, the easier it is. So that you can obviously send a check to the address that we have on the website. Um, it's relatively and easy. And tax deductible, 501c3. Great deduction. Yes, you're right. And we will send you a, a an acknowledgement of that. Um, and so that's the easiest way to donate. Obviously, you can come to an event. Our, our donor base and our community is really spread out across the country. So events are limited. Mm-hmm. We do have recipients around the country who on occasion will do something like a hike or something with soul cycle, a spinning yeah. class or a yoga class. And they're very good about organizing things like this. So we have that. We have events in Los Angeles and New York periodically. We're doing something in Los Angeles, February 29th in the Pacific Palisades, oh. very isolated Leap day. And it's just kind of a meet and greet. Yeah. We're doing another event May 6th in Los Angeles, um, way in advance, but we're doing that to introduce a book that's coming out, a great book on fertility that I've been privileged to be able to look at, a book by a New York Times writer named Amy Klein. And it's humorous and informative. And she her book comes out April 7th. And we're doing a book party for her May 6th. Great. And we'll link to uh, anyone listening to the podcast. We will link, we'll put links to the event as well. So you can look up all those details. Perfect. There are always events that happen in April in National Infertility Awareness Week. Mm-hmm. In, for example, for the past two years, we have been very, very lucky that we've teamed up with a restaurant, a chain of a vegan restaurants. There's one in LA, many in, on the East Coast called By Chloe. And every May, they dedicate a cupcake in honor of mothers and those who are striving to be mothers. And BabyQuest is a recipient of proceeds from that. That's so great. And who doesn't want a cupcake? And we get to choose what kind every year. So, oh, oh, have you chosen? Have you chosen your kind this year? I, I'm hoping it's chocolate this year, but we'll see if they mm. offer this. <laughs> right, um, pineapple. I feel like that's often related to fertility. So you could do a pineapple. That's cupcake true. Sometime. Well, they maybe next year. Some interesting designs, and they're very supportive. As are the other groups that I've mentioned, and even companies like. Uh, there's a woman who now is doing some um, sweatshirts and a percentage of proceeds will come to us. There was a baby carrier from a company called La La Boo. And just recently, we had Bayberry Beer Hall in Providence, Rhode Island, who just sent us a check because for a dollar for every pretzel they sold oh. in December. <laughs> wow. Yes. I hope they sold a lot of pretzels. They did. So we're very Great. grateful. Wow. So let's talk about the other side as well. For those who might be in the middle of this struggle or this journey and are really trying to figure out how to afford it, how to afford 
the treatment or the help they need. How do they get in touch with BabyQuest? How do you apply for a grant? What do those grants look like? Tell us about the program from that side. Okay. The first thing they do, once they have a diagnosis from a fertility specialist who tells them you need to proceed with IVF or you need IVF with egg donor or sperm donor or egg freezing or you need to proceed with surrogacy, they go to the website and they click on the branch on the homepage that says apply. And that takes them to a page that talks about the eligibility requirements, basically being a permanent resident of the United States. And it goes through all of the different things that we fund. As I mentioned, egg freezing, IVF with sperm and egg donor, embryo donation, gestational surrogacy, all Mm -hmm. of the different um, IVF because of genetic cause. Um, Our Operation Baby Quest, which is specialized grants for military personnel who aren't covered by military insurance like TRICARE. Um, as you know, since you yeah. mentioned we're in the military, um, cancer, um, people who've lost their fertility due to cancer. We try to do one cancer recipient each time. And anyway, they look at the eligibility requirements, which are generally fairly broad. And seeing that they are within those eligibility requirements, they click on print the application. And it's not like you have to be military. That's just like one of the the grants Definitely you try to won. give, right? Uh, we try, of the 10 people that we granted awards to last time, one was military, one was cancer-based. So we try to Got do it. one okay. each time. If it happens to be a second, great. But we try to do just yeah. at least one. They look at the requirements. They, they print the application. The application is about 15 pages long. It Ooh. goes over. Okay. Um, we try to encourage people to apply as if they really know that this is the impression. This is the first and only impression that they're going to to make on us and to do their homework. Look at other stories that we have online that are examples of what other people have submitted. Look at things that we put on our blog, tips for how to fill out an application. And we try to spoon feed people as much as we possibly can (laughs) to give hints on this is... if. Think of this as if you were applying for a job, as if you were applying for college, a scholarship or college admissions, and do your best. Don't leave things blank. Don't make things sloppy. Follow the directions. Don't go to OBGYN. Go to a specialist that's Mm. required. Um, Make sure that the doctor or the nurse or whoever from the clinic is going to be doing the the application. Make sure that he or she fills in every blank. Don't leave out important things like what is your egg count? What is your AMH level? What is your BMI? Because you, know, you things really like have, that. you have medical professionals that are looking at these applicants as yes. well that know most what those definitely. numbers mean. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And the applications come into us. There are a, There is a checklist of at least 15 12 or 15 things that come in with the application. The application itself, a personal history, two-page story that you write. And again, we have samples on our website. Yeah, to help you. That's help. That's great. Copies of your insurance card. You, de- you do need to have medical insurance. And people argue with us saying, why do I have to have medical insurance? Well, if you wind up getting a grant and if there is an unfortunate medical condition, you know, unfortunately, a miscarriage, if there's anything 
that comes up during the pregnancy, you have to have medical insurance. Even if it doesn't cover fertility, it has to cover right. yourself. First. And that's an, that's an important distinction that it's insurance, but doesn't have to be insurance that's providing coverage since that's a big issue that a lot of people might have some kind of health insurance, but doesn't provide any coverage for I, infertility coverage. Yeah, Right. But you do need the insurance. You do need to send $50 as a fee. And as we tell people, people have said to us, well, why do I need to send it? It is non-refundable. Um, nobody at BabyQuest, including myself, takes a salary. And we pay little stipends for some work, social media work that's, that is done, obviously, when we get our website overhauled. We can't get somebody to do it for yeah. free. But there are no salaries paid. We basically have very, very low overhead other than printer cartridges, and office expenses, um, conferences. Which is something donors like to hear too, that knowing when they donate, their money is really going straight to those who need it. We are very transparent. Our tax returns are published. We have a complete high rating from an online company called, I believe it's GuideStar, that rates nonprofits. And we are very transparent about how we spend our money and how we take yeah. it in and how we give it out. And most of the money that comes in goes to the recipients. So again, people have asked us, you know, well, why do you charge $50? And we even ask on the application, the one of the questions on the application is how much can you contribute to the process? Mm -hmm. We are certainly not asking anybody to fundraise, to start a GoFundMe, to do anything like that. But we have found that if the applicant or the recipient is vested, even somewhat, $1,000 or $1,500, if they're vested in the process, then it, is, it just works better. It's, it takes a village. Yeah. It takes the doctor to be cooperative. It takes the um, attor surrogacy attorney, for example, if it is a surrogacy or a, a contract with a sure. donor. It's the pharmacy, pharmaceutical companies who help us, and it's our don and it's our donors. So everybody takes a part in this. And I guess it it is the phrase. It takes a village to put this together. <laughs> and it's my understanding that you have one deadline every year for the grant for that year and then they're awarded for the year? No, Is that we, have, right? we have two. Okay. We oh, have two. Okay. Generally, it's spring and fall. This year okay. in 2020, it's April 2nd. April 2nd. Okay. For those who are interested, April, April 2nd, 2nd. If, it hasn't, if it hasn't already happened, what's the fall one? Do we know the that date? The fall one will be in September. I don't have the exact date. Last year, I believe it was September 5th or 6th. It's early September. And usually we post that exact date immediately after the April 2nd date. But what, and in fact, people ask, I send my application in and what happens? And some people send it in in February, some will send it in March, and 99.9% .9 of the people will send it in starting on March 26th to April 1st. <laughs> April 2nd. Right? By April 1st. Yes, right. Yes. April 2nd. Date, right? The ones right who are local the will call and beg and say, can we bring this application over to your office? And I do not have a physical office that's in my <sighs> home because I've taken over part of my house, but you can take yes. it to our, our PO box place. And people do that and they fling it at the, the people there and they're like, oh, did we get it there in time? And <laughs> yet we give people six months to do this. And we're right. telling people, uh, applicants, your doctor may not fill it out 
the very day you give it the right. application. It's three pages. It's very ahead. easy. It can be filled out by a nurse, a nurse practitioner, the IVF coordinator in the office. The doctor himself has to sign it. But doctors sometimes don't respond as fast as you'd like them to. And you just need to allow yourself time to get everything done because an application is not considered complete until all the parts are there. The payment, the doctor's portion, your portion, the story you have to submit. And that's why I feel that social media and getting the word out about BabyQuest is so important. And we do a lot of this in in early March um, because it takes several weeks to do something Mm -hmm. that looks like a well-prepared application. And when people call the day before and say, oh, we're going to get this together. You know, I'm going to get this to you on time. Uh, You can almost tell what has been haphazardly thrown together versus a very well-executed application. Okay. So take the time, start early. Yes. So when, um, after I panic and I show up at your house and I give you my application (laughs) on April 2nd, what happens? happens? How long does it take for me to hear back? Okay. Um, We actually put the timeline on the website because so many people ask this question. And the the beauty of the current website is that we have tried to address the most relevant and frequently asked questions from the past years of doing this. And it's always a learning experience to know what to put on there. Um, There is a section on the website that says, now you've turned your application in. It's April 3rd. What happens? When you when you send in your application, within a few days, depends how bogged down we are, you get an email confirmation that says, we have received your application. And then it tells you right. about the timeline. But in case people don't read, which happens, or in case it goes into a spam folder, which we warn people about, and they don't see that they have junk mail from us, that's really not mm-hmm. junk. Um, what happens is that you receive an email confirmation. You... Hold tight for four to six weeks. And we know that's difficult. It's kind of as not quite as bad as the two week wait after you've after you've had an IVF. But we really can't tell you anything for week for four weeks. We're really good because I would say that almost every time I think we've done grants 17 times, from what I can remember, given awards 17 different times. And I don't think it's ever taken the six weeks. I think it's always been less than four. But there's nothing that we can tell people in that time period. Because during that time period, your application is first looked at by an administrative person who checks to see if everything is there. If something is missing, we'll probably email you and say, you forgot to do this or that. And generally, people will respond within a few hours because yeah. they're really nervous right. about that. Um, and we give you about a day to respond. And it's not anything major, like you forgot to send the application. It's um, you forgot to sign your check. You didn't include the doc, you know, one page of the doctor's form is not there or just something like that. So first, and it's administrative person. Secondly, it is a committee of um, I would say women's health advocates, people who are uh, surrogacy attorney, owners of surrogacy agencies, people who are on the board who donate their time to looking through the applications and weeding through them. Yeah. It is difficult. It's the worst thing 
about uh, baby Because I'm sure you want to help everyone. Yes, exactly. And we go through the applications. Then it's a financial committee. So you limit each, you have a pass each time. Um, you eliminate each applications each time. Then you have a financial committee that looks at them. Is this person viable financially? Is are they, can they provide a stable environment for a child? Um, I, I remember one time there was, it's, it's always priorities. I remember one time there was an application that mentioned that the person had taken out a $30,000 loan for a motorcycle. And the financial committee, I had noticed that the financial committee came back and they said, you know, this is really a, a demonstration of priorities. Mm. Um, it wasn't necessary for work or anything like that. There are just certain things that, unfortunately, we just have to look at things like that. Who needs the money the most? And it's very difficult. That is it's very difficult. To right. And it's, that. it's a hard balance too, because it's needing the money, but also being in a position where you are stable, that you can support a child. So you can't be, you have to meet that middle, that middle ground. Right. Yes. And also looking at, yes, you have a decent income and a great income, double income, but you've spent $50,000 of your own money already. So yeah. obviously you have no savings. You've devastated your savings and you can't proceed. And what do you do? You're at that point where you need help. Yeah. So that's another thing to look at. Um, and, and again, income levels vary in different parts of the country because, as you know, housing in California, New York, probably the Chicago area, especially New York and L.A., housing is very yeah. expensive. And it's right. a lot different than an income of a certain amount is different in central Nebraska versus in yeah. Los Angeles or in, in Philadelphia or in Dallas. Absolutely. It, we just have to look at that. After the financial um, review... Uh, we hopefully have eliminated, uh, we hopefully have reached 25 or so applications, uh, which is, as I said, everything is difficult. Yeah. We give those to the doctors. Uh, we have a committee of four doctors, one from the Seattle area, one from LA, one from Dallas, one from New York, kind of encompassing four areas of the country and they will then look at the medical portion of the application we want them to concentrate on that just that part everybody looks at their own specific area they look at the medical part they decide who is who has the most optimal chance of having a baby if somebody is in their mid-40s and the doctor says their a because of their AMH levels and their egg supply, they are starting to look towards diminished ovarian reserve. Maybe the applicant says, I really want to try IVF one more time with my own eggs. That's not a viable candidate if yeah. the doctor is already recommending the use of donor eggs. And hopefully they've, they've already talked to a doctor and have a sense of that, of what's yes, being recommended. There's still, there's still a lot of people who maintain that, oh no, I just need one more chance. And it's a hard yeah. compromise to oh, make. And they haven't hard. really adjusted to that. And but there's a, a multitude of other factors. And you mentioned age, which I thought was interesting that on the frequently asked questions, that was one that how old do you have to be a certain age or not over yes. a certain age? And it looked like the, the answer was 
you should be under 40, but you don't have to be that there is, you know, they will look at you guys will look at your whole situation. Yes. Um, recently, the ASRM or the Medical Society has stated that they will not treat women over 55, which is mm-hmm. pretty advanced. Um, obviously, there are women who would be using donor eggs who would hope that their uterus would support having a child that late. They've come out with that age. We don't put a specific age on our website. And the reason we don't Mm -hmm. is that you can be 28, and this has happened, we get applicants with diminished ovarian reserve in their late 20s, early 30s. So to say that 40 is a cutoff or 41 is a cutoff, there are women who are in their 40s, early 40s especially, who have a good egg supply, and we have funded them for using their own eggs. Um, so we don't put a specific age on there, but we leave that up to the doctors. And obviously there has to be a very recent follicle count and AMH levels mm-hmm. and a recommendation by the doctor that this person is a suitable candidate for IVF with using their own eggs, IVF with donor eggs. Um, the sperm count is fine for the sperm analysis and so forth. And we really rely, we look at each case individually. Mm-hmm. I know the grants vary depending on the applicants that you choose and how much funding you have that year. But can you give some sense, you know, based on historical grants, just because if someone's doing a lot of work on this application and $50, I'm sure they don't want to hear like, oh, you get a $100 grant after all of that, right? Oh, no. <laughs> Now, one of the things that going way back to what we talked about at the beginning, one of the things that I found that I wanted to institute with BabyQuest that was not a feature of some other grant organizations is that our grants have to fill the gap. So in other words, if the doctor says the procedure is $10,000, plus medications, which are 5000 So basically, you're talking about $15,000. Yeah. The applicant is asked, how much can you contribute? Mm-hmm. The applicant says, I can give $2,000. That means we're down to $13,000. The doctor says, I'm going to get, after my groveling, the doctor <laughs> says, I'm going to give you $1,000 off, you know, for this applicant as long as you're funding this person. So now oh. we're down to what, 12000 Yeah. That would be the grant that the person gets. In other words, there is no reason, and and it's not right to tell somebody, you're going to get $2,000. You really need $8,000, but we're going to give you $2,000. And then put the stipulation on it, which we do, that you need to use the grant. You need to start your procedure within three months of receiving the grant, um, which is what we ask the people. We need people who are basically ready to start within three months of receiving a grant. So it's unfair to say to them, well, you need $10,000, but we're going to give you 3000 and you have three months to use this. So go find a loan. Right, when you don't have the rest so of it. We, <laughs> yeah. we give full grants of what the people need. Now, what, do, what range is that? I would say that is in the range of anything from two or $3,000, which is rare to give out that little, to... 15, 16, 17,000 with medications, up to 20 even. It really depends. We have some very generous supporters who prefer to remain anonymous. Uh, Couples who have gone through this themselves, who are affluent, who have said, I want to give 
X number of dollars, $12,000, $15,000 to a person. You select the person. And we've even told the recipients who has been their fairy god people. And oh, the, if, yeah. if the people want to remain anonymous, they can still send the emails. The couple can still send right. the emails to me and then I forward them. So, and we have some companies this year. We started mm-hmm. a program called the Give the Gift of Hope Grant. And we have the first company to sign on was Seeds Trust Escrow Company in Florida. Okay. Yeah. They have started with a, a donation, a twelve thousand dollar donation, which will be awarded, probably added to by us. And this will be awarded right. in the April group of grants. So the yeah. grants can vary. When you asked how much are they, they are what the person needs. And that's good to hear that that helps people when they're applying to have a sense of it. Any other kind of parting words or knowledge that those who might be interested um, in Baby Quest and either helping or applying should hear that we didn't talk about? Well, we love people who want to help. Yes. Uh, as I said, there there is strength in numbers because if you get one or two people from a community, it's more fun to organize something when you're working with somebody uh, rather than by yourself. So it's always nice if people email us and say, well, I live in Cleveland. You know, is there anybody else here, we can connect you with a recipient who will be more than willing to plan something. We've had people plan golf tournaments and showers. And as I said, we have a page dedicated on the website to this, a pizza night at a restaurant, you know, things like that. We just want people to know that there is a lot of heart in the organization. The, The recipients are so grateful for what they receive. And we are very upfront about the fact that we can't promise anybody a baby. I mean, even if we give somebody $15,000 to proceed with IVF for even more with surrogacy, we can't promise. Of course, out of your control that you hope for the best, but... Mm-hmm. The only thing that we can promise is that you will have the opportunity to proceed, an opportunity that you would not have had without the grant. Makes sense. Well, I think it's a, an amazing cause, and I'm so impressed by what you've done of taking taking what you've seen as a need and from your personal story. And um, and I also think it's interesting to hear from a grandparent, you know, that it wasn't just someone who was directly affected them personally, but their daughter and really took it to heart to help others. So I'm so, so impressed with what you've done and for Baby Quest. Thank you. And that is interesting because we have tried, and that's another goal of mine, to get a grandparents group together. Yes. Um, <laughs> because infertility affects the whole family. And it's not something that your daughter or son goes through. It's, I will always remember every place every location I was at when my daughter called and said, I went to the doctor's appointment and there was no heartbeat on the ultrasound. <sighs> yeah. you know, and it happened several times. And and it's something that sticks with you. So it's it's important. And, and as a grandparent, you feel very out of control other than, you know, thank goodness to be able to help financially because there's nothing else that you can do and you want to help your child and take away the pain, but you just can't. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Pamela Hirsch, for joining us on the podcast and for all you do to make a difference for those struggling to be able to afford 
the treatment to become parents and really just individually, one by one, helping those people out there. It's really an incredible thing you're doing. Yes. And don't forget, I mean, again, as I two weeks in a row, talk about things that might be timely, you know, assuming everybody is just listening the moment these come out. Uh, But if you are planning on applying for one of their grants this year, you really should be at least starting on the process now, Hugh, because I believe the deadline is April 1st. And it's not like you can just do it the night before kind of thing. Two deadlines a year, but they take time. So yes, so definitely be working on that if that's something you're interested in. Um, But things that don't have deadlines are contacting us. Uh, So you can always give us a call at 303-997-1903. Also, you can leave us a review. Which does have a deadline. Get that review in by tomorrow. Okay. Today. No, no, today. Midnight today is what I'm saying. (laughs) That is the deadline right now. Uh, No, no pressure. We just love to hear from people. Uh, and of course, we always love to you know thank our everybody who makes us sound incredible and and is behind us and does wonderful things with us. And uh, so, huge thanks to Tyler, Amanda, Ashley, and Lexi on our team, and then Chris at Work at Bird Studios who does wonderful things and makes us at least sound as good as we can, right? I, I mean, he, he does he's, he's working, he's, he's got to deal with the source material. So right. Thanks, guys. But we do appreciate it. And thank you everybody for, for listening and being with us one more week.